Welcome to the Healing Tree Podcast. A journey in discovering God's healing ministry for us. Simplifying the story of the Bible and the mission of Jesus through the lens of a tree. And an invitation to experience the transformation that takes place when we're connected with our Creator. Hi, I'm Lauren. Hi, I'm Ajwa. And today in this episode, we're going to be talking about another aspect of the meal that we talked about in our first couple episodes. And so today we're talking about the wine and how that represents Jesus, Jesus's blood and how we are able to partake of that and what more that means. Mm. Yeah. And just to recap on our previous episode, we gave a rundown of our story of how we even got this message, what happened on the plane, and literally God has just been guiding this journey throughout, and definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that story, because it was definitely a treat to record and recount what happened, and just be like, wow, really, God was just like guiding the whole process, and so here we are. So we are continuing in our series, and this information now is information that we received after the trip that we went on that summer. So we'll start off by reading in John chapter 6 and verses 53 to 58. And it says, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person in the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but will live forever. Kind of an interesting passage to uh, start off on, huh? Jesus wants us to feast on him. What do you think that means? Yeah, we've been talking about this, how it's just something that you're not used to hearing. It's like, okay, you want me to eat of you? You want me to drink from you? What does this mean? And so we talked about in, I believe, the second episode about the bread, which we said represents Jesus' body and what we just read here in John 6, how Jesus compared the manna that came down from heaven for the Israelites, God's chosen people, that God gave them manna, which was their physical food, that Jesus is the true bread that was coming down from heaven. And so he's saying here that Not only is his flesh this food for us, his word that sustains us and gives us wisdom and knowledge of who God is, his blood is also part of this meal. And so he's saying that if you drink of his blood, I think that means to accept his sacrifice on our behalf, um, really taking it in like you would drink water or drink something else, drink grape juice, that that comes into your body and completely fills you and, you know, gets distributed throughout your body, all the nutrients and things. Jesus is saying just like that, I'm this wine for you. And if you drink it, then you will be a part of me. You will be able to participate in a sense in my sacrifice. Hmm. Yeah. And so we learned, we like Lauren said, we learned about the bread, we learned about the water. And so we're focusing about the blood. And let's go on and read Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29. And it sheds more light on what the blood means. He says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So we see here that they're having the Lord's Supper. And this is what we call the Lord's Supper. And back then it was the Passover meal. And so it was 
a symbol of a sacrifice of freedom. And we're, we'll look about that a little bit later. But yeah, it was the symbol of sacrifice, as Lauren mentioned earlier. And by eating it, we are accepting and claiming the promise that we will one day drink it again with him in his kingdom. And I like how in this passage, it talks about his blood being like a covenant with us. We mentioned before that basically our relationship with God is compared with the marriage. We looked at a passage in Ezekiel 16 talking about that, how before we being symbolized like this, this young girl that was growing up and God, you know, just showed his love on her. We're like her. And like she was ready for love and, and Christ married her. And that's the same thing for us. And so this passage here in Matthew 26 is talking again about that, that covenant, kind of that marriage relationship between us and him. And he's saying that by partaking and having this blood that you actually get to enter into that covenant. And um, if you look in Jeremiah 31 verses 33 to 34, it actually talks about this new covenant that Jesus ushered in with his life. And I always love this passage. I just think it's so beautiful. It says, but this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. A beautiful promise to us that, you know, as we take in Jesus' sacrifice for us, as we meditate on it and really accept it in our lives and we accept his sacrifice on our behalf, we accept his righteousness or our filthy rags that will never actually be righteousness, that he will write his, his instructions deep within us. He will write his law on our hearts so that we'll be changed and have that new life that we've talked about. Hmm. Yeah, and I like how you mentioned the transformation process that it is a symbol and a promise of that transformation that takes place when we are connected to him and when we are consuming him. And so we're going to dive into some of the history of the Passover meal and where that came from and why the, the Jews kept that going for a long time. So we're going to read in Exodus, second book of the Bible, chapter 12, verses 17 to 23. It says, Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, for this will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you must eat must be made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day of that month. During those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. Anyone who eats anything made with yeast during this week will be cut off from the community of Israel. These regulations apply both to the foreigners living among you and to the native-born Israelites. During those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast. Wherever you live, eat only bread made without yeast. Then Moses called all of the elders together and said to them, Go pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families. Slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin. Then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses. And no one may go out through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home and he will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. So we hear a lot of no yeast, no yeast. And we also have them having these instructions of slaughtering a lamb and using the blood to put it on their doorpost and not just blood, but using a bundle of hyssop branches to wipe, the, wipe it on the door. 
And then when they do that, then the angel of death will pass over their home and not enter in because God is over their home. So probably like why all the random details like yeast who cares <laughs> like why his sub branches why can't I use like I don't know a horse tail or something so all of these have meaning mm-hmm. so yeast yeast was a symbol of sin to them yeast was a symbol of sin so during this time of the Passover they got rid of all their yeast and like Lauren mentioned before, again, signifying this transformation, this cleansing that takes place when we're connected, getting rid of all the sin. That's what Jesus does. And not only that, that cleansing comes by his blood, his sacrifice that is being painted on the door of our hearts, painted on the door of our mm-hmm. lives, and is being painted on with hyssop branches. And hyssop was used to make soap, cleansing. Mm-hmm. And so there's a passage, I think it's one of the Psalms where it says, cleanse me with hyssop. They use hyssop to do a lot of purification, a lot of cleansing. And so here we see this symbol being used, getting rid of all the yeast, cleansing the blood of the lamb that is now on the door to signify past death, pass over me. And that's what Jesus did. He was the Passover lamb. He was called the Passover lamb. His death, his sacrifice is what cleansed us from sin and allows death, the, the result of sin, which is death, to pass over us. Wow. I love the way that you broke that down. That's, that's so true. I never really thought about it like that, but it's true. It's like Jesus' blood was like a covering over their homes and literally you know just like his sacrifice would keep us from the the results of sin which is death that's what this blood that was symbolized of jesus blood did oh that's so cool i never really thought about it in that way but that's, that's such a beautiful image and yeah it's so interesting there's so many things like this in the bible especially in the the first like few books and stuff where there was a lot of sacrifices and a lot of things and yeah, like I'll just said, sometimes you might wonder, like, why was everything so specific? Why did everything have to be, you know, done with certain materials or in a certain way or in a certain timing? But all of this was really to explain the plan of salvation. And I think it's so cool that God took the time to give the Israelites the message of the gospel and the message of who God was to the rest of the world. And so I think it's cool that, you know, God always, he always meets us where we're at. He used the sacrificial system and different feasts like this one, like the Passover feast, to really explain some of these deeper meanings. And like Audra mentioned, you know, Jesus was a Passover lamb, and we just talked about what what the yeast represented and what the blood represented. And so all of it was to help in understanding who Christ was and what he was going to be doing in the future. And just like the people at this time, they were enslaved, and God had led them out of their place of slavery in Egypt. Jesus also frees us from the slavery of sin because sin is something that really does chain us down. And we might not feel like that because obviously it's something that we enjoy, unfortunately. But when you really see the results of it, it is something that ties you down, something that keeps you from the life that God would really want us to have. And so Jesus came to set us free from that. And this Passover feast, this was, you know, part of them coming out of that time of slavery. And that's what Jesus did. So I just feel like all of the parallels, all of the imagery is so beautiful when you really like dig deep into it and understand what these things mean. Mm, I love how you said that. And so when it comes to the Passover meal, we're talking about the blood here. And in the previous passage, he said, drink this cup. And it was wine that he was like, drink this cup. And this signifies my blood based on the Passover tradition without yeast, their wine was not fermented at all. It was actually fresh squeezed grape juice that they called wine. And so they used the same word for wine as the same word for grape juice. In our English language, when we think of wine, we think of like what you get, you know, from like the liquor store or something. But in the Passover meal, 
it was unfermented because they had to get rid of all the yeast during this time. And it's beautiful too because that's something that represents purity in a sense like the the grape juice which we'll, we're about to talk about in just a minute how it comes from a crushing experience. It's literally just the fruit of the vine in its purest form just the fruit being crushed to give you this refreshing beverage and so yeah again it's just something that goes and fits with the principles that we've already been seeing about cleansing and purification. Mm, yes. And the way that they made this wine, like you mentioned, it was a wine press. They also would, they would just get like grape grapes and crush it. They would use their feet. They would use this wine press that would just crush the, the, the fruit and make fresh juice. And so we'll read a few passages that really speak about this crushing process, but in the light of Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we can be healed. Matthew 26, 36 to 38 says, And Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So interesting that Christ is compared, like we just mentioned, to these grapes that are crushed. And something that just came to me earlier as, as I was looking back at this, I never realized, but we've, we, you know, we've talked about how Jesus was the first tree and obviously bears much fruit as he is God himself and has all of the fruits of the Spirit because that's who he is. But we know that God is love. And so God's love is like a fruit. And so Jesus being like that, that grape, that grapefruit, not grapefruit, but fruit that is a grape, <laughs> was crushed for our sins as a sacrifice. So I just thought that was really cool because it's like, okay, why is Jesus being compared to like grapes that were crushed to make wine? But his love is a fruit that we get to partake of. And he gives it to us so undeservedly so lavishly but he was willing to be crushed for us like if you really take the time to think about that it's it's amazing and extremely humbling I know I just look at myself and I'm just like wow like I can barely handle myself and you know God deals with me and every other person that's not only living now but has lived in the past and will live in the future and to think that he was willing to go through all of that for us who he knew you know, wouldn't necessarily appreciate his sacrifice or understand it. But he was willing to to literally just be crushed where the life was taken out of him for you and me. It's, yeah, just amazing. Yeah, and that crushing experience is one that is very hard to fathom. But I'd like to read passages from a book that I feel really gives us a glimpse of what that was like for him. This book is so good. I read it and I, it really made me fall deeper in love with who Jesus was and like his character. It's called Messiah and it's by Jerry D. Thomas. Very good book. It's a modern version of the book Desire of Ages by Ellen White. And so yeah, I think he did a good job capturing the essence of her words here. And I'm reading from chapter 74, The Struggle in Gethsemane. It says, With the Passover moon shining brightly in the night sky, the group walked on toward Gethsemane. As they neared the garden, Jesus became strangely quiet. Every day of his life on earth, Jesus had lived in the light of God's presence. But the time had come for him to be considered a sinner, 
so that he could carry the guilt of fallen humans. That guilt was so heavy that Jesus was tempted to fear that it would cut him off forever from his father's love. He cried out, my heart is full of sorrow to the point of death. The disciples have never seen their Messiah, their master, so utterly sad. The disciples looked anxiously for Jesus' usual place of resting. Twice Jesus would have fallen down if they had not supported him. Jesus left all but three of the disciples near the garden entrance, asking them to pray. Then with Peter, James, and John, he walked on a little further. They often prayed with him in the garden. After a time of prayer, they would sleep until Jesus woke them in the morning. Now he wanted them to spend the nights in prayer with them. Not wanting them to witness his great struggle, Jesus went to a hidden area where he fell to the ground. He could feel that sin was separating him from his father. That separation seemed so wide and so deep, his heart shuddered to think of it. He couldn't use his divine power to escape it. As a human, Jesus had to suffer the results of human sin. As a human, he had to endure God's anger against sin. Now I'm going to read page 367 when it talks about Jesus's need for human encouragement. He says, like all humans, Jesus longed for sympathy and encouragement in his time of suffering. He struggled back to the three disciples, hoping for some words of comfort. He wanted so much to know that they were praying for him and for themselves. It was a terrible temptation to let the human race bear its own guilt instead of him. If he could be sure that his disciples appreciated this, he would feel stronger. But they were asleep. They hadn't heard his warning to watch and pray. The three had not intended to leave Jesus alone. They could have shaken off their days if they had only kept on praying. But when Jesus needed them the most, they slept. The disciples woke up. But Jesus' face was so changed by the suffering that they barely recognized him. He said to Peter, you men could not stay awake with me for one hour. Stay awake and pray for the strength against temptation. Jesus was afraid that they would not endure when he was arrested and killed. Then the Son of God was overwhelmed again with terrible agony. He staggered back to the spot where he had prayed. His suffering was so great that he began to sweat large drops of blood. The cypress and palm trees that silently witnessed his torture dropped heavy dew from their branches, as if nature itself was weeping over its creator. A short time before, Jesus had stood just like a mighty cedar tree against the storm of danger and criticism. Now he was like a bent and tattered reed. His voice was heard again in the evening air full of human pain. My father, if it is not possible for this painful thing to be taken from me, and if I must do it, I pray that what you want will be done. Again, Jesus turned to his disciples for encouragement, for their, but their heavy eyes had overtaken them again and they were asleep. They awoke to see his face streaked with the bloody sweat of his pain. It frightened them, but they could not understand his mental suffering. And now page 368. Three times Jesus pulled back from making the final decision. So this is the section titled The World Hung in the Balance. Jesus turned away and fell once more to the ground. The awful moment had come. The eternal fate of the world hung in the balance. Even then, Jesus could have refused to drink the cup that belonged to guilty humans. He could have wiped the bloody sweat from his face and left humans to die in their own sin. He might have said, let the lawbreakers pay the price for sin and I will go back to my father. Instead, he said the third time, Father, I pray that what you want will be done. Three times, Jesus pulled back from making the final decision. 
but he could see that the human race, if left to itself, was helpless, that sin was too powerful. He saw the misery of a doomed world and the fate its people would suffer. His decision was made. He would save the humanity at any cost to himself. He left heaven to save the one world that had fallen to sin, and he would not turn away from his mission now. With the decision made, Jesus collapsed, dying to the ground. But God suffered with his son. Heaven was silent as the angels watched the Father separate his light, love, and glory from his beloved son. Satan and his demons watched as well. What would be the answer to Jesus' prayer? Mm -hmm. The answer came when the mightiest angel of heaven rushed to Jesus' side. The angel did not take the cup of suffering away from Jesus, but to strengthen him with the assurance of his father's love. He assured Jesus that his death would destroy Satan's kingdom and give this world back to those who followed God. He told Jesus that he would see many of the human race saved eternally. Jesus' pain did not go away, but the depression and discouragement did. The blood-stained face now reflected the peace of heaven. He had done what no human could ever do. He had tasted the sufferings of death for every person. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It just really helps to make his sacrifice more real. I know that I've definitely read passages in scripture that will, you know, the, the sections that talk about his crucifixion and the things that led up to it and everything. And it's easy, I think, because it's something that we've heard a lot to kind of be desensitized to how bad it was. But just hearing it explained more, Jesus went through so much. And it's crazy to think like, you know, we go through difficulties in our life and not to diminish anything that we go through, but he actually carried the sin of every person that again, you know, was living at his time and lived before that and would live in the future and literally felt separated from God. And it's just like, man, like, do I feel that badly about sin? Do I feel like it's really ripping me from, from my God? Like, it's just crazy to think it was almost as if he was like separated from himself. Like Jesus was God and he lived in perfect harmony with the father. And to think of being severed from that, like think of being separated from your best friend and never being able to see this person again and, you know, fearing what if that happened? And like Jesus experienced that on a whole nother level. Like, wow, it's just, it's so insane. And the fact that it really caused him so much suffering to the point where he sweated blood, literally his sweat was blood and he <sighs> fell to the ground many times, just the weight of the sins and the pressure was just so intense that literally he was like, I'm crushed. This pressure is crushing. And that's what he endured for me and you. He bore that. The death started happening way before the cross. It started happening in Gethsemane when sin was piled on him. If it wasn't for the angel strengthening him, who knew if he would have made it to the cross? Yeah, and I always think it's amazing, too, the fact that what kept him going, like you just mentioned, obviously, was the angel giving him that strength and encouragement. But he kept thinking about us, like you read that, you know, he almost changed his, almost changed his mind like three times. But the fact that he kept thinking ahead to us and the life that we would have if he, well, the life really that we would not have if he didn't make that sacrifice, that's what kept him going. And for me, that is extremely humbling because again, knowing our human nature, our fallen nature and how easy it is for us to engage in sin. And even when we come back and we, you know, have realized what we've done, how easy it is to go back into that and how willingly we do it too. It's just amazing to me that that's actually what kept him going. His love for us was that strong, was that passionate and intense that just thinking of us and the faith that we would have without him interceding for us is what kept him going. Yeah. And if you're in a place in your life right now where you feel crushed, 
you feel pressed, you feel like the pressure is really hard. Know that Jesus has gone through pressure. He's gone through suffering. He's gone through pain. And if God could send angels to comfort Jesus, he's willing to send an army to comfort you in your pain, in your struggles. He doesn't let you go through these alone. He will give you the strength you need to endure these trials. And I like these passages in 2 Corinthians because it just highlights the fact that we're not alone in this struggle of life. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, 3-5 says, For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are such great passages. I especially love the first one that you read in 2 Corinthians 4, because like we just read, like Jesus was crushed for us. He went through that pressing so that we would not have to. We definitely experience things in this life where we feel like we're being crushed and like we'll die sometimes. And it can feel so hard. And again, not to diminish any struggles that we experience in our lifetimes because some people go through such terrible things. And I know, you know, sometimes I'll read articles or hear experiences of people. and I'm just like, wow, like I don't even understand how somebody can endure something like that. But Jesus was crushed to the point of death, not only not only like a physical death, but a death that could have been a spiritual death as well. But he endured that and was completely crushed so that even though we are pressed, we are not crushed, like the verse said, and that even though we might be knocked down, we are not destroyed. And I just love this passage because it, it just brings so much comfort. And I think it's also helpful to remember too that when we are going through trials and suffering, that when we go to God and ask for help, we're not going to a God who's, you know, sitting on this throne and it's like, oh, poor humans, they're, you know, this person is going through such a hard time. Let me send an angel to help them. Like he actually understands what you're going through. The Bible says that, that Jesus was tempted in all ways and all points that we are and that he basically took on our nature and lived as, as we do as humans. And obviously, you know, he wasn't in the same exact situation, but all of the same types of things that we experience in this life, he went through those and I think experienced it on a much greater level than even we do. And so I think that's something that really can bring us a lot of comfort. And you can ask God to help you with that because I think it's, it's a great gift that he gives us where it's like, I understand what you're going through. It can help you with this because I know where you're coming from. God doesn't send us our trials. He doesn't send us our painful things that happen to our life. There's no like everything happens for a reason. Like, no, but rather he's like through everything I can bring good out of it. And so if you're in a place where it's like, I don't even know, I don't, you know, how do I even deserve this thing that's happening to me? This world is a messed up place. Random things happen to random people, whether you're the person who's in jail, whether you're the person who is preaching. Bad things happen to everybody. Good things happen to everybody. And so this life is tough. And God promises that through our struggles, he's able to bring good out of it. He's able to bring life-changing in our lives through the Spirit. He's able to make 
things work for our good. I love that God sends angels to help Jesus. Because yeah. it's like, wow, then God can send angels to help me too. And there's this passage from Christian Educations and Teaching, again, by Ellen White. You can tell we like her books. <laughs> but what she wrote here was pretty comforting when I read it. It says, I have seen the tender love that God has for his people, and it's very great. I saw angels over the saints with their wings spread about them. Each saint had an attending angel. If the saints swept through discouragement or were in danger, the angels that ever attended them would fly quickly upward to carry the tidings, and the angels in the city would cease to sing. Then Jesus would commission another angel to descend to encourage, watch over, and try to keep them from going out of the narrow path. But if they did not take heed to the watchful care of these angels and would not be comforted by them, but continued to go astray, the angel would look sad and weep. They would not bear the tidings upward, and all the angels in the city would weep and then with a loud voice would say, Amen. But if the saints fixed their eyes upon the prize before them and glorified God by praising him, then the angels would bear the glad tidings to the city, and the angels in the city would touch their golden harps and sing with a loud voice, Hallelujah. The heavenly arches would ring with their lovely songs. Like, we're not alone. We're not going through life alone. Literally, we got angels cheering us on. And when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, they're like, yeah, that <laughs> human is doing great. <laughs> but, you know, in times when we mess up and choose to do otherwise, they are literally weeping, like crying, because they know how painful it is and the effects. And they've seen what Jesus did for us. And it's painful to them. Yeah, so true. I think it's it's cool to think that, you know, they're there with us through all things, through the ups and the downs of life and always willing, more than willing to, uh, to offer their help and to assist us in those times. And going back to what you mentioned just before, I really like that you mentioned that God brings good out of all things, because sometimes it's easy to feel like, you know, we might be in a really hard situation ourselves. And it's easy to feel like, man, like, why is this happening to me? Like, you know, I'm a good person, or, you know, I, I attend church, I help with church, or, you know, I've never heard anybody, like, why is this happening to me? And like Audra mentioned before, this world is, really is so messed up, and we can't even fully understand the consequences of sin. There's so many things, I mean, obviously, sometimes we do experience the consequences of our own sins and things that we've done wrong, but there's a lot of times that, you know, we might suffer because of somebody else's sin, and sin is a universal thing. It's something that, you know, not only affects us, but affects other people, whether we realize it or not. And there's just so many things that, you know, we can't fully understand. But I love that God reminds us of these things, that it's like, no matter what you go through, I'm there to help you along the way. I'm there to guide you through it all. And even though this this life is, is painful, and there's much suffering throughout the journey, I will carry you through it. And I have angels and myself to be there to comfort you through it, and my Holy Spirit to get you through it as well. And it's really cool to see if you've ever been through a really hard time to look back and see the way that God has carried you through that experience and even how he's able to help you to grow. Sometimes, again, there are experiences that are things that should never happen to anyone and something that, you know, really is damaging. But there are a lot of experiences as well where God can take something that was meant for harming you and is able to make that into something that's able to help you to grow and to continue to flourish into that tree that we've talked about. Mm. Yeah, and God can let our places of darkness and despair to become a place of transformation, a place of change, a place of healing, a place of waiting, a place of worship. And so we'll talk more about that transformation process and how this blood signifies that that transformation, washing away of our sins, of the things that 
slow us down and to really free us to live a life full of joy and the spirit. There's a story that Jesus mentioned, and it's quoted here in Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. It says, besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. And so... Initially, looking at this passage, it's like new wineskins. <laughs> we were just talking about this. We were both very <laughs> confused. I know I'd read this many times. I was like, what in the world is this talking about? I'm so confused. Yeah. And like, it was pretty recently that God made it clear what he was saying here. Pretty much is saying that I'm transforming you, old wineskins. And I'm transforming your old wineskins, you, your character, your old habits, the ones that are leading to destruction into new. I am making you into a new wineskin. I am putting and patching up and molding you into a new, better version of yourself that is just filled with my spirit and is overflowing with my goodness. And when you are transformed into a new wineskins, I will be able to pour into you new wine, transformed wine. And I don't know if you guys caught this before, but I think it's so beautiful. It says, for the old skins would burst from the pressure spilling the wine and ruining the skins. And so this goes back again to this thing with the crushing that God wants to make us into new people so that you know, no matter what pressures might come upon us in life, whatever challenges may come our way, whether it be personal things or, um, you know, maybe issues with other people or even a, a spiritual trial that you might be going through, anything that might cause crushing or might put pressure on you, he's saying that he wants to change us from these old wineskins into new so that we're able to endure that pressure. And it's so interesting. I know I've definitely seen people go through things and, you know, they're smiling and are still happy. I mean, of course, they are going through a hard time, but they're able to still move forward and, you know, have so much strength. And it's like, wow, like, how are you? How are you doing this? You know, I can't imagine if I went through the same thing, being able to have the same strength or the same resilience as you. And I think it's a testament of this, that when God is in your life and he's transforming you, this doesn't make you immune to the difficulties of life. But I feel like the way that you're able to handle it and go through that experience is completely different. Because even though you're going through a hard time, there's something so amazing just having a knowledge that God is with you and knowing that he can work good out of that difficult situation. So I just love that it says this, that he wants to make us into these new wineskins so that we can endure the pressures of life and we'll actually be able to hold and really enjoy this new wine that he wants to pour into us, which was from his own crushing, but he so gladly wants to give to us that we can participate and accept that sacrifice and enjoy the benefits of it. Mm. It's really cool. Yeah, and I love it. So the transformation process is so evident here because old wine is like aged wine. It has had the time to ferment having yeast. And so mm-hmm. when it comes to new wine, it is fresh from the clusters, fresh from the grapes. No yeast, completely oh, free. I did not think about that. That's beautiful. And so it's a promise. And he, before in our passages that we read about the Passover meal, he said, Um, I won't drink this cup until I drink it new with you in my kingdom. And so it's a promise, you know, that this life, he is doing this work where he is transforming us, removing the yeast from our lives, that when his kingdom comes at the end of time, we will be made new, completely new, and he will be able to enjoy new wine with us. 
oh, there's so much coming, getting ahead of myself. Okay, so <laughs> um, you want to okay. go ahead. Be excited. <laughs> I was ready for the next thing. Um, go ahead, Lauren, on the passage in Isaiah. <laughs> yes, so we have another passage in Isaiah 30, verses 19 to 22. It says, O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, he will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is a way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags, saying to them, good riddance. Mm. This just, yeah, perfectly sums up what we were just talking about. This transformation, God is saying, you know, when you see him with your own eyes, when he teaches you and you're able to really understand who he is as your God, as your comforter, as your teacher, it's saying then you will throw away all of your idols, realizing that you don't need these things anymore. And it's cool because it doesn't say that, you know, this person had their idols, you know, taken from them or pulled away from them as if they were holding on to them. It's like, no, they give these things up willingly because they understand who, who is our teacher, who is our God. And they want to give these things up so that they can enjoy what God wants to give them. They want to receive the new wine from him and get rid of the old filthy rags, the old filthy wineskins. Oh, just so, so perfect. I love this verse, these verses. Oh, so rich. Second um, Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Mm. So, so true. Ah, the transformation. Mm. Yes transformation definitely there's a story in john chapter 2 which is one of my favorite miracles that jesus has done at a wedding feast so john chapter 2 verses 6 to 11 read it so it says standing nearby were six stone water jars used for jewish ceremonial washing each could hold 20 to 30 gallons jesus told the servants fill the jars with water When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. But, th- but when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So this, uh. right? Like this passage is just filled, filled with like so much. So we see here that there are these stone jars that were holding water. And so this wedding feast, all of the wine they had like ran out. And so Mary, Jesus' mother was like, Jesus, do something. And he went in the back and told it, told us the servants to like fill them, fill the jars with water. And he turned it into wine and served it out. Now, like the master of ceremonies was like, what is this wine? never tasted anything this good before. And it was amazing. And so there's so much symbolism here. So throughout our podcast so far, we have learned that water is flowing from the temple of God. Mm -hmm. And water is taken up by the trees, which are us. And we learned that Jesus is the ultimate first tree that was planted. And as the water comes into the trees, it's doing transforming work within it. As the water was 
bringing cleansing and healing to the Dead Sea is doing the same thing in us as we take in the water. We're also being transformed and cleansed by the Spirit. And as the tree grows, the tree is now able to produce fruit for food and leaves for healing. And so we've learned that Jesus is the first tree and he had fruit. Definitely his life was fruit, spirit-filled, filled with the fruit of the spirit. And he was definitely in the business of healing. And we heard that his fruit, his great fruit of grapes, <laughs> um, got crushed, got crushed by our sins. And that pressing, that crushing produced new wine or blood. So the water of the spirit turned to wine through the crushed fruits. Mm-hmm. Could it be that God is doing the same miracle within us? That as we take in his water of the spirit and we are producing fruit, and as we read in the previous passage, we go through life and we are pressed, but not crushed, because Jesus endured the crushing for us. We are still pressed. And through this pressing process, God is using our experiences through life to transform us into his character and sanctifying us, which is really making us holy and purifying us and getting rid of things we don't need, things that are leading to our destruction. And also doing that miracle within us where water of the spirit within us is being transformed into wine. Mm, Yeah, I love that. I love how you brought that out. And I was just thinking as well, it's like we have to come to Christ for these things. We have to come to God to receive the spirit, to receive all the parts of the meal that we've talked about and to be transformed. And it's really cool if you read in the different gospels talking about the crucifixion of Christ, like we just mentioned, Christ was the first tree and we have to come to the foot of the cross to be forgiven for our sins and to receive new life. And it's amazing because when Jesus was crucified, there were soldiers that came to check and see if he was actually dead. And one of the soldiers pierced Jesus on the side. And you know what flowed out? Blood and water. And it's just so crazy to think that, again, we talked about Jesus is the healing tree, the first healing tree. And from him, our source comes that water and that blood, the spirit and the new wine. amazing oh yes and as we mentioned at the start of this episode that the blood represents cleansing healing kind of like the water doing the same thing (laughs) so yeah the water is the spirit the blood also is in harmony with the water which is the spirit And I love this verse in John 6, verse 63 says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so when we are eating this Passover meal of bread and blood or wine, (laughs) we are taking in his words with the spirit, Mm -hmm. literally his promise, sacrifice, taking it in and allowing his promise to be fulfilled in our lives, to make us into these trees that glorify him, that are allowing him to be lifted up in our lives, erupted up like a tree where we can bear his image. Mm. Wow, absolutely amazing. And there's some verses that kind of talk about how, I guess, this promise is sealed and kind of brings all of these things together. And so the first one is in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. I'll go ahead and read that. It says, And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not only by water, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, 
and the blood and all three agree gasp <laughs> yeah really I remember when I first read this I was like wait what because I, I would read it and not really understand and it's like yes the spirit is the water and this blood that flowed from Jesus side like again all of this stuff is together they all agree they all bear witness to the sacrifice of Christ and the fact that he is that first healing tree and that everything comes from him it's just oh it's just so amazing it's cool how God, you know, just spells it out for us and puts it all together. Um, everything that he does all comes together for our good and is for our growth. And yeah, this new life, the transformation that he wants for us. Mm. Wow. Yes. And it's literally like, you know, I was talking about baptism, but in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. It is tying in this whole message of the waters, of the bread, his word, his body broken for us on the tree. And now we have the spirit, which is just being poured out from his side. And the blood, the water, the spirit, all of them agree. And so here we have this image of Jesus being lifted up on the cross, on this tree, where he, he is the temple here. And from this temple, literally, water is flowing to heal us. Blood is flowing to hear, heal us from his crushing experience. Mm. And the spirit, he is, wants to give us abundantly the spirit to heal us, to heal us of the things that just weigh us down. Exodus 13, 8 to 10 says, On the seventh day, you must explain to your children. I am explaining what the Lord did for me when I left Egypt. This annual festival will be a visible sign to you, like a mark branded on your hand or your forehead. Let it remind you to recite this teaching of the Lord. With a strong hand, the Lord rescued you from Egypt. So observe the decree of this festival at the appointed time each year. It's really, really cool. This passage was telling the people to reflect on the Passover that we were talking about and to, you know, explain it to their children and why they were doing it. And I love that it said that you recite this teaching of the Lord with a strong hand. The Lord rescued you from Egypt. And we mentioned before that, God brought the the children of Israel or like us, you know, out of out of slavery in Egypt, out of physical slavery that they were in. And that was kind of like a foreshadowing of the deliverance that Jesus would bring later on for all of us, that we would all be delivered from the slavery of sin. And he's saying, you know, go back and remember these things. And it will literally be like a sign to you, like a mark branded on your hand or on your forehead. It's like something that just goes with you, something that you carry within your body in a sense. And that's what God wants for us, that his sacrifice for us, all of these truths that we've been talking about, that they would literally become a part of you and actually transform you from the inside out, that they're not just something that you've heard before, but these things are actually a part of who you are and change your story. Yeah, just really amazing. Mm. Yes. And so when we take it, the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal, remember these promises. Remember that it is a promise of God's transforming work in our lives. And we invite you to experience that breaking of chains, breaking of the slavery of sin and letting God just free us, just free okay. us from whatever it is that is keeping us chained whatever it is that is preventing us from experiencing freedom for what it truly is freedom from our minds freedom from whatever it is that is occupying your mind he wants to give you peace from that struggle and so our main question for you for this week is what trials or crushing experience have you been through how has God brought you through those trials? And if you haven't experienced or have not paid attention during that time, 
What are ways that you can invite God into your moments of suffering at this time or in your future moments of suffering? Yes. Oh, love it. And these are again questions that, you know, we want to be thinking of with you guys because it's easy to just kind of go through experiences and not really stop to think about it. But they're great things for all of us to ponder. And yeah, that is the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening and for joining us for this. So we look forward to having you next week as well. We're going to be talking more about this crushing experience, but not with grapes, but now with olives that are crushed um, and make oil and what that represents. So we look forward to having you next week. If you like what you just heard, we encourage you to stay up to date with our latest information and follow us on our Instagram page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have any questions, feel free to leave your comments and questions on our social media platforms. We would love to stay in touch with you, answer any questions that you might have and offer whatever support we can.